Good morning, benders and non-benders alike, and welcome to the Republic City Dispatch, the number one radio program that covered the entirety of Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week, after almost a decade of following her escapades, the Dispatch finally welcomes the Avatar herself, the savior of Republic City multiple times over, it's Janet Barney. So without any further ado, Matt, Joanna, and Janet. Hello and welcome to another episode of Republic City Dispatch. We're back. Yes, if you haven't heard the the last few episodes, if you notice this podcast in your feed, well, guess what? There's more episodes of Republic City Dispatch. Cora, Legend of Cora is on Netflix, and we are podcasting about it once again. Maybe a little, maybe briefly, but we're doing it. Um, and we have a really, really exciting opportunity that has landed on our laps and uh i'm gonna let joanna robinson take it away because it's all joanna robinson that made it happen no the avatar cora herself is here janet varney oh my gosh we are so thrilled uh yeah uh, I actually, I cut this out of my interview. I, we've got a great interview with Jenna Varney, uh, so stick around for that. Obviously, we want you to hear it. It's great. I will warn you that uh, though we don't get into major plot specifics, you know, I don't know if you're watching along with us, so which means you would still be sort of in the season two territory. We, def- Dan and I definitely talked about a big thing that happens at the end of the show that most people, even if they haven't watched the show, are aware of. Um, and if you know, you probably know what I'm alluding to, but that's the only like sort of spoiler I would say is in yep. the interview. So like you can listen to us talk about sort of like, you know, and, and that's the last question too. So even if you want to listen to just like most of the interview and then peace out <laughs> before the end, you could do that too. Uh, but it's mostly spoiler free except for that last, uh, subject, uh, which no. I really loved her answer on. So, Ooh, mm-hmm. I'm excited to, to hear that. Yeah. I mean, we did not get to talk to Janet during the original run of the podcast. Uh, we did some interviews, we talked to composers. I should get those guys on the phone too. I don't know. Do people want to hear that again? Again. Um, but yeah, we got, we didn't get Janet. It last night. I'm so excited for you to talk to, to Janet because you you have been a Janet fan for a long time. I yeah, mean, I don't want to like uh, <laughs> I, I don't know celeb gossip here, but you have you had met Janet years ago. Yeah, I did. Um, I cut this out of the interview, like this part where I did that really embarrassing thing where I like reminded her that we had met. Um, but I, I I'll did, do that for you right now. That's like, <laughs> I did the whole like you have no reason to remember and she doesn't because I just I co-produced one event she did for San Francisco Sketch Fest years ago it was like a Dr. Cat. do you remember Dr. Katz? I it love like, Dr. Katz. Yeah it was like a live Dr. Katz show with like a bunch of comedians Bob Odenkirk was there um, oh my that's gosh where, that was that's, my dream come true that's where I met Bob Odenkirk and he was just like the nicest man of all time but Janet Varney is one of the co-founders of SF Sketch Fest which is an incredible comedy live show it's really big now festival. right? Yeah it's huge which is amazing, and and she uh, is one of the people who started it all. So I I got to see her do that work, that like producing work, years and years ago. Um, but and then she became Cora, uh, and I was like, oh my <laughs> god, I I met, I met Avatar Cora once. Uh, and then I also saw her. Um, I don't know if you're listening and you're a fan of the FX show, you're the worst. Uh, which had, I think, what, a four to five season run? Anyway, yeah. Janet's great on that. Live action, fantastic. So she's just, like, really, she's she's amazing, Matt Patches, yeah. and, and well, we have her here. I, yeah, I'm really excited. I, and we were talking before the podcast that this is this was the voiceover work that she did. Like, there's so many people who work in 
TV voiceover that kind of float from show to show. They'll pop up on Adventure Time. They'll pop up on Steven Universe. They're all over the place. This was kind of like Janet's big voiceover role. And she came from comedy, and then she's doing Cora. It's fascinating the, that she decided to take on this role and that she really knocked it out of the park. I don't, I don't know. I, uh, you know. I'm excited to hear her dig into like where she brought that performance from. Um, do you want to tease your interview at all? Uh, I don't think people are going to bow out at this point, but uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> what does she I, dig into? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, you know, it was, it was a somewhat short uh, interview, so I don't want to like claim that we, we got like super, super deep, but, uh, you know, she talked a bit about her process, which was illuminating to me. Um, Patches teased me up with some some great questions about process to ask her, so that was really nice. Um, and she she well, the interview kicks off this way, so I'll just I'll just leave leave off with this, which is, you know, before I even had a chance to ask her about it, and I wasn't sure I was going to ask her about it. She sort of talked about how every person who has interviewed her lately has asked her about like. Why does everyone hate Cora so much? Mm. Or like, or like, what's with all the misogyny around Cora and stuff like that? And we obviously love Cora on this podcast. Um, but her, her answer to a question I didn't even ask uh, kind of cracked me up, uh, and I loved it. So um, should we listen to Janet Varney? Let's listen to Janet Varney. I'll do you a favor. I'll throw to you, interviewing Janet Varney. Here's Joanna talking to Janet. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you? How are you? I'm good. It's so good to talk to you. And I love Cora so much, so much, uh, with all the earnestness in my heart. So I'm I'm so happy to talk to you about it. Oh, my gosh. Well, I feel the same. And, you know, it's it's so funny. I, you know, I did an interview semi-recently where, and so I had these questions logged at me that were about, like, all the hate that Cora's gotten because yeah. she's a girl or because this, because that. And I seriously was like, oh, I have really managed to avoid so much of this but now I'm being told that it's a huge thing and like this is really hard because I'm so you know it's just hard not to with something like that show and I think you know everyone who was on Avatar and on Korra uh acting wise and possibly in all creative uh enterprises in the show they just feel so proud of it and they have had so much positive feedback from people who have really been um helped by it that you know like skirting any online kind of like, oh, she's not Aang, she did this, she did that. Like, I kind of missed a lot of that. And so <clears throat> it's weird being confronted with it, like a little bit post everything yeah. um, and not wanting to be like, say it to my face. <laughs> <laughs> what a core <laughs> response. <laughs> It's so, you want to just be like, I don't want to get, no, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Like, I understand that, you know, fandom inspires certain passions and like, you know, that's how we kind of come to understand who we are and what we like. And sometimes that means, you know, being very flagrant about disliking something else. And I get that, um, especially with younger people. And I don't mean that in a condescending way because I was the same way. Um, sometimes it was more fun to dislike something than it was to like something when I was in my teens. Uh, but you know, again, like you were saying, as somebody that also feels that tremendous sense of loyalty to the show, um, it, it, there's definitely a sense of like, fans will fight the battle of Cora for you. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, you know, we, we did a, we did this podcast, you know, back when Cora was airing, you know, live. And so, uh, yeah, we were in the midst of the fandom there. I don't remember there being a ton of, hate 
at all. That's not how I would describe it. But what I would say is that I think um, maybe there was like surprise people coming off of um, Avatar thinking Korra was just going to be Avatar the next generation or whatever, when in fact it's it's quite different in tone in a number of ways. And yeah. and I love that about what Brian and Mike did, that they decided, like, let's not do the same thing again. Let's do, let's explore someone older, someone, you know, a teenager going through all of her teenager feelings while dealing with the end of yep. the world, et cetera. And so I think that, like, misaligned expectation is something that um, hit the fandom a little bit. But... My hope is that with Cora hitting Netflix last week, that like I'm hoping for like justice. We're outside of those expectations. I'm hoping people will just yeah. look at Cora for what Cora is and love her the way that so many people already do. You know what I mean? I love that. I love that. I I feel the same. All right. So have you have you heard anything from um? Folks, even over the weekend, have you been, like, sneaking around the socials and, like, looking at people maybe discovering Cora <laughs> for the first time? I haven't. You know, um, it's still kind of, like, the, the announcement that going to Netflix sort of ushered in a little bit of a wave of, um, you know, a chatter, which in a great way, um, just even through my socials um, and and, you know, folks who definitely tag me and stuff saying, you know, I'm so excited for people to check this out who haven't seen it before. Um, you know, this is reminding me of like great memories, people posting, you know, pictures of like having, you know, when we met back in 2015 at a con and stuff. And I love all of that. Um, but I definitely haven't. Yeah. I don't ever kind of very much to what we were talking about earlier. Like I never go looking for anything. <laughs> I'm so sensitive that I'm like, if it's positive, it'll find me. If it's negative, hopefully it never will. <laughs> so, um, so I don't know, but, um, but I hope so. You know, I, 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 um, I really hope so. I think, um, I think it, 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 it deserves to have, you know, eyes on it that, that you couldn't um, for one reason or another um, many years ago. And uh, yeah, my, my fingers are crossed. One thing that I think is so fascinating is that when you recorded your first season of Korra, um, you recorded it all at once, right? Like all of Korra season yeah. one at once. So you're creating Korra sort of in your own bubble in a certain way. Is that how you would describe it? And what was that process like for you? Yeah, I mean that that's uh that's a great question. Um it it was really interesting. Now there's maybe things like I don't remember right um which I totally like mea culpa if that's the case. There may be a situation which it's like, "No, remember how we all sat together and da da da." And I might be like, "Oh, boy, that sounds right. I remember that on my own." <laughs> um but then, but that being said, um yeah, I mean we were uh, I, the, the great thing about it, um, and you probably already know this, but, you know, we really, Nickelodeon did such a great job of really trying to coordinate people's schedules, especially sort of key people who had scenes together to record together. And so, you know, we would go in on our record days and, you know, it might be that because there's a limited amount of mics, um, uh, in, in the studio, um, you know, maybe there would be some staggered call times. And, and in some cases, there would be, you know, maybe situations where like some of us would be sitting out, just hanging out together. They really worked to let us be able to perform together, which I just absolutely love. I've certainly done stuff for a great team of creators and, and you know, the voice directors and stuff on the shows. But, uh, 
you know, it's always nicer to get to engage with the people that you're that you're actually in the show with. And so so we got to do that. So I wouldn't say that I it was created in a bubble that was as small as just me or even a bubble that was as small as just me and Mike and Brian and, you know, Andrea Romano and, a, you know, one of the great Nick executives or something. But it was definitely yeah, it was definitely the cast coming to know each other's characters as they were coming to know their own. And, you know, we didn't get, you know, a bunch of scripts in advance. We would get the scripts week to week. And so we didn't know what was going to happen. And, you know, we would all kind of come in a buzz, uh, you know, from week to week going like, Oh my gosh, can you believe what happened in this episode? And like, <laughs> Oh mom, such an amazing villain. And, you know, there's sort of like gossip about how much we loved the writing and getting excited to, you know, lay all the vocals down. But um, unlike something like anime, you know, where very often, uh, especially if it's at an English dubbing stage, I think, and I haven't done really any of that, but that, you know, people are dubbing, I've done a little bit, but people are dubbing to pre-existing, you know, animation, which gives you a whole different experience of that world building and, you know, figuring out where, what your contribution is and how best to fit it in with what's pre-existing. And, and we didn't, we didn't have that, um, uh, and so it really was like being little kids. It was like, you know, LARPing. <laughs> <laughs> except, except we weren't in a forest and no one was wearing costumes. So it was really not that at all. <laughs> um, but it was, but it was definitely like when you're a kid and you're sort of, you know, living in your own head and, and I, I've never thought about this before, but kind of like storytelling around a campfire or like in a, in a, at a slumber party or something, because you're in this dark room and you're not facing each other. You're sort of like, you know, in your own little world with your own mic. Um, but if you sort of imagine that in a sleeping bag scenario, <laughs> um, you are sort of like, you know, you're sort of telling the story in the dark in a sense, like in a literal and figurative way. And, um, and there's something really magical about that. And then it's five million times as magical when you start, you know, when you see the animation, which was months and months and months and months and months later, um, when we started coming in to do, you know, the fight sequences, stuff that really kind of did need to, we need to match up to what the action was. Right. And it was, you know, I mean, I, I'm like notorious for this, but I really couldn't, I had, I just cried so many times with just joy because <laughs> you want to hold on to that childlike feeling and, you know, felt kind of more important now than ever in some ways. Um, to be really feel that sense of wonder and delight. And I think that's what this show and other shows like it um, bring to not just the people watching it, but the people who have the, you know, the luck to be a part of the making of it. I wanted to ask you on, on that on that vein of like LARPing and, and needing to match up with the with the fighting and stuff like that. My my co-host Matt wanted to know um, how it is you manage to make Cora sound so winded during action. Like, how do you affect <laughs> windedness during an action sequence dialogue? Joanna and Matt, it is so hard. <laughs> it is so hard. It's the hardest thing for me. It is so hard because you really do have to pant and you, and I don't recommend trying this at home. <laughs> if you are panting with no reason to pant, you will pass out. So, <laughs> and I learned that the hard way. I, I really did. That was something that, you know, even having taken voiceover lessons and, you know, done a bunch of acting, a bunch of improv, um, somehow it had escaped me that, you know, you can't really do that. And in some ways it seems like it would be the easiest thing in the world. But I was like, I remember the first time doing it being like, um, I need to put my head between my knees for a second. 
what's the secret to this? Anyone? Anyone? Um, and so, yeah, it was, it, it's really hard. And you really do have to kind of figure out, um, like, how to do that in a really shallow kind of, like, cosmetic way, in a sense, that doesn't really involve hyperventilating. So it's a great question, because it truly is so hard. <laughs> Great question, Matt. Um, and, and my question for you, uh, which which might not be as as uh, niche voiceover, but I'm just curious, like how Cora was described to you or pitched to you in the audition process. Like, what did you understand about Cora when you first uh, were going after this role? I mean, this was definitely like ten years ago, um, so I can't say like verbatim what would right. have been on the character description or anything. But um, I I remember very strongly because it was also kind of reiterated in the callback process that, you know, this is definitely a a young person who sort of maybe heedlessly jumps into stuff, not from a bad place, um, just from a young, um, awkward place of, you know, I guess the best way to handle anything is to just get my hands real dirty and, and try to show everyone how, how capable I am, even if that's not true. (laughs) And so I definitely related to that um, a lot. And, you know, and so I think those were the things that I remember. I remember, I feel like I remember Mike and Brian, you know, really emphasizing like, this is a good person. This is a person who has a really good heart, but um, she definitely protects it with these very specific um, techniques. And I was like, Yes, understood and understood. <laughs> I, think I can definitely relate to that approach because that was that's very much you know was something that was a, a defense mechanism for me growing up as well. Um, I would probably tend to be more of the smartass if if really pushed into that corner. I would be more of the smartass than I would be you know the sh- the shrink away. Um, even though like I probably was you know more afraid than the person who was shrinking away. I I read this interesting thing, and I don't, uh, you know, like fandoms love to create their head cannons, and I don't know what's true or not. Um, but something that I read that I loved was this idea that in the Avatar regeneration cycle, a uh, reincarnation cycle, um, that each uh, next generation has the quality in spades that the previous iteration lacked. So, for example. If Aang's biggest shame is that he ran away from a fight and, like, was gone for 100 years, Korra will always run towards a fight. Um, I don't know if that's fan-made or something that you guys ever actually talked about, though. That's a great question. I, I, I wish Mike or Brian were here because they are definitely the source for, for all things canon. But um, yeah. <laughs> I do think, I think it makes, I mean, I think that makes tremendous sense. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to me, that speaks to the whole concept that it's so, you know, intensely important in that world as well as in our own of balance. Um, The idea that, you know, you can only find balance when you understand fully the the sort of trials and errors and successes of of all of these different things that come together to make us who we are. Um, How better to continue on that journey towards balance than to have, you know, in this really long tale of these, you know, regenerating this regenerating spirit um, that, 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 that would exist there as well. You know, that it's not perfection and it's not, 
that 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 process in and of itself is in this is seeking balance like that right. mm-hmm. that's such a microcosm that would make so much sense because it would be such a perfect kind of microcosm within this like macrocosm of the world that 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 is you know the last airbender in legend of Korra, right do you agree I, or am i crazy i love it no i completely agree that that idea yeah. of like always trying to achieve uh, balance and is there an ultimate ever perfect form of the avatar and i hope not because i like that the avatar has this tremendous power but is also always on this growth path because of their human qualities you know what i mean and their and the things that get in the way of their abilities i i love that about this story absolutely absolutely i couldn't agree more and and i've never really talked about this before but that's kind of what makes the best stories about these these heroes these the heroes that are truly standing in on behalf of humanity or of whatever race or creature species you know in whatever world um are it's their flaws and and their humility in some way whether you know however hard one or not that that people stand in for you know with jesus if you believe in that it's the buddha it's you know the like buddhism how how what what could be more ingrained than this is a process that you're constantly relearning over and over again um so I love that. I think you're dead on. To to loop back to that, you know, the how Cora was described to you um, when you started this project, I want to uh, drop a thought experiment on you. This one comes courtesy of my my co-host Dave, which is if you, having gone through the seasons with Cora, having watched her grow and all that stuff, is there anything you would change or add if you were writing like a casting call for Cora now for someone to voice her? Oh my gosh, uh, that is so far outside of my <laughs> comfort comfort zone in terms of just trusting the like trusting the process. I mean, I think um, uh, I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I think I would just I would sort of leave that up to Mike and Brian. Again, they're they're so attuned to you know the world that we live in now. Um, obviously, they've just gone through this process with Netflix that ended up not working out for them in a way that they had sort of anticipated or hoped that it would. And, and I totally, you know, I, I, I just, I can't question that. I think my experience of working with them for many years was that they, you know, they have a very, very strong vision and that they also, you know, are on their own journey and are adapting and learning and, and responding and creating in, in, in kind in relationship to all of that. And so, you know, whatever, whatever they would feel was best way to approach it now, I would totally just turn it over to them, whether that meant me being the character or not. Right. Something that I love about Korra that complicates it. um, And I love I love both Avatar and Korra for their different uh, qualities. So it's not I hate comparing the two. I, I feel like they're just two beautiful, different, separate but connected things. But uh, something that Cora does that I really love is it presents these villains who have good points, points you agree with, um, totally. taken, taken to an extreme that you can't endorse uh, if you're a, you know, a quote unquote good person, whatever that means. So like, um, yeah, that, that those complicated villains, I was wondering if you could talk about, about that, about like your experience discovering these ideologies almost that, that Cora would be confronted with season after season. 
I, I absolutely love the villains. I love it. It's that complex storytelling. It's the how, you know, this is such an old kind of adage, kind of cliche, but um, I return again and again, even in other characters I play, um, whether they're sort of more benign villains um, or not, uh, that, you know, everybody thinks that they're the hero in their story. Um, right. And, you know, and so these these villains that are relatable or are saying something that is kind of eerily close to something you could imagine yourself also believing or finding that you're standing for or seeing yourself like, gosh, if X, Y, Z had happened to me, you know, am I sure that I wouldn't feel this way? Am I sure if I went through the level of trauma that a culture does or, you know, in, in this storytelling of that we're talking about that, you know, these, these things that happen, you see the way societies respond and, um, and that, you know, I think it's a lesson that we've all, maybe kind of taken on in the last <laughs> four years, which is like, you have to take responsibility for your monsters on some level. And, um, and, you know, that's what I love so much about the, the conflicts in each book. They're so, to your point, uniquely different, but, you know, there's this kind of eerie sense of like, wait, they're not, they're not bonkers. You know, there's a, there's a series of, of, reasons underneath all of this that um that are not coming out of nowhere you know and i think that's really important and so cool like hats off to you nickelodeon for for you know however hard it was to see some of the seasons and all of that who weren't just like dismissing it out of hand like oh these two shows are you know they're probably just like fun and silly um that that you know the audience um of these like really savvy mature kids all the way up through old, you know, elderly folks that appreciate what the, what the shows are about. Um, it's, it's, it's huge. And it's because I think there's those moral complexities. And I'm sure you've been asked it in all the interviews that, that uh, you've been doing, but I need to ask you anyway about the legacy of, of Korra and Asami and what it meant to you to be part of that initial storyline and then to talk to fans who were maybe impacted by it over the years. Always happy to talk about Korasami, truly. Um, uh, I did have the experience already by that point of having engaged with fans who were, were inspired by just the existence of Korra at all. Um, you know, who were so excited to see this female protagonist who was, uh, who was complicated, who was messy, who was headstrong, who jumped into things too quickly, you know, all of that. Um, and the other characters, people who identified so strongly with Boleyn and with, you know, Beifong and, and, and with Amon, frankly, you know, um, in really interesting and complicated ways. And they were so wonderful to speak to at Comic-Cons. Um, you know, I always joke that we have the best fandom in the, in the world, but I, I only say that because I've seen or spoken to people who have been on shows that maybe they don't connect to or video games, like really violent video games. And they end up engaging at places like that or they don't go at all because some of the fans, maybe the way in which they connect to their character, like makes people uncomfortable or so, you know what I mean? Like there's just yeah. a, mm -hmm. a sense of like a valley between the performer and the, and the work and then the right. fan. Um, and I just never felt that, you know, I just feel like these are, these are people who get it and we feel the same. And that's, it's, 
been so amazing to talk to people about it. And so when Cora saw me, uh, when Bren and Mike told us about the fact that they were, you know, they were going to end up together as canon, uh, we were both like, I feel like we were both like shaking. We were like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, in part because I knew, I knew already the impact that the show was having. And between, you know, Cora going through the trauma and then, and really having to like, cope with this, with the post-traumatic stress. And then also this relationship with Asami that was very much connected to that, right? Because in this, this idea of, you know, going through the very worst of your life and getting clarity within those, those moments, the quiet that can sometimes come afterwards, not that it lasts because that's not what post-traumatic stress is about. It comes back, you know, and that's okay. But that you would have this clarity of who this, there's a person who has become so clearly the person that feels like home to me. In, in this circumstance, um, now I get all emotional, the, the ability to recognize that sometimes is born out of, you know, adversity, right? And so that just made so much sense to me. So I was so happy about it. And I also, you know, I've been by, I've, I've, I've never not been by. I mean, the first, you know, handful of kids I kissed, girls, and um, and I, I knew what it felt like to have feelings for friends, not know with those feelings and watch them come out of a friendship and go, wait a minute, why do I feel different now? Um, and, and to, and to not know how to kind of deal with that or what the right move was. And so I just thought if that happened to me, um, there's no way that that's not happening to young people, even as far as we've come evolved, uh, with our, with our sort of, you know, our relationships to gender and sexuality and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it was, it was, it was, profoundly uh, meaningful to me. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time uh, and for Cora and everything you gave us. And uh, I, I I really, I love talking to you about it. So thank you, Janet. I love talking to you. Tell your co-host I said hi. I okay. will. <laughs> Thanks, Joanna. All right, Joanna, you have to do what uh, Janet said. Say, uh, uh... hi, Matt Patches from <laughs> Janet Barney. <laughs> Thanks, Janet. I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, and she really liked your questions. Um, yeah. So if you can't get enough of Janet Varney, and who can blame you? Um, there's a you know there's a couple places you can find her. Uh, she's doing this like really cool thing, this like uh, sci-fi podcast narrative thing with a couple people you might be a fan of: Felicia Day, um, Steve Berg, some other like really great folks. Uh, sort of a comedy sci-fi thing called Voyage to the Stars, um, which has a season two. Uh, hitting right around now so um, that is one place or I would recommend checking out You're the Worst if you've never seen it she's so funny on that show she plays an awful human being and she's hilarious um, on that series unlike Cora who's a good <laughs> human being uh, and not the funniest person and not very, not very funny Cora. yeah yeah no she's quite um, serious and then if you want to uh, you know follow well, hold on yeah, if you want to, if you want to follow her, she's just at Jan Vardy on Twitter. Great Twitter presence. Um, so yeah, tweet at Janet if you're watching Cora and you love Cora. She would love to hear that from you, um, or or what the whole series means to you. Um, you That's know, sweet. She's just a great representative of the show. Imagine if it? people use Twitter to say nice things to I the know. people that they at. That would be a miracle. At Janet um, Vardy, Cora rules. Yeah, I'm gonna go do that after we're done here. Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, on that note, we should also tell people where they can find us and where they can tweet at you and say nice things. 
Oh, you can say nice or mean things, and I'll mute you uh, on Twitter <laughs> at Joe wrote this, or you can find me on VanityFair.com or a bunch of other podcasts. Matt Patches, where, where can they find you? Uh, over at Polygon Writing all the time and editing, and also on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And I would I would encourage you to say neutral things to me. Don't say good or bad things. <laughs> I want to see who can say, say the least infected things uh, possible. Um, well, that does it for this week's Republic City Dispatch. Yeah. Can, I, can I improv a neutral tweet at you right now? Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, I, I shouldn't have let that go. I should, I should take suggestions here. What's the most neutral thing that you can say? At Mr. Patches, mm-hmm. chickpeas are food. How'd I do? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> Although, I mean, it's a, it, here's the thing about that, though. It's still a take. I think oh, you'd have you're to t- there's some strip away the take. Chickpeas aren't food. I think if it had just been chickpeas, it would have been a little <laughs> more neutral. Please so. go. T- please go tweet it, Matt Patches. Just the word chickpeas. The word chickpeas. <laughs> I once asked. Um, did you ever listen? Sorry, uh, are folks still listening to us? I don't know. Did you ever listen to the Good Place podcast? I did uh, a few times. The insightful. Yeah. It was what's his name who played the the judge, the guy from oh, right, Mark Mark Evan yeah. Jackson. So Mark Evan Jackson would end the podcast by being like, "What's good to like his uh, mm-hmm. you know the folks from the show who are on with him?" Um, and I interviewed Mike Sher, and I thought I was so clever because I was like, "Mike Sher, what's medium?" <laughs> <laughs> and he told me it was his lunch because he was like a vegan and he was like vegan lunches are always just medium so i think that's what i was going for chickpeas are food vegan lunches are medium i'm looking for medium (laughs) tweets just general basic information but you know that's what the the world is so rough right now i wouldn't mind just getting chickpeas in a tweet anyway very relevant i mean this is funny like janet vard is funny i hope uh (laughs) Anyway, that's the end of this episode of Republic City Dispatch, but we'll be back with uh, more recaps and hopefully more fun things in the future. Uh, Until next time, farewell. Farewell.